Hi, this is Marty McFly, and you're listening to Hydrate Level 4. Boy, oh boy, Mom, you sure know how to hydrate a good podcast. Welcome to Hydrate Level 4. I'm your host, Peter. And today joining me is Albie from the Quantum Leap Podcast. How are you doing, Albie? Good. It's great to be here again. Yes. Uh, for those that don't know, you were uh, recently on... Uh, well, I guess not recently, but a few months ago, you came on to talk about your love for Back to the Future on the uh, 30th anniversary tribute episode. Thank you for that. It was a great time talking to you about that, and I love just talking about Back to the Future, as you know. Yes, absolutely. And um, so you're joining me today, and we are going to review uh, Back in Time. Um, and also, uh, I have mentioned it on previous episodes that you and I, we have started a new venture together. And I'm loving it, man. Yeah, so it's a new podcast. It's on Back to the Future, the animated series. And the title of the show is just that, basically, with the word podcast at the end. And uh, we have a website. It's barrenspace.com slash BTTF. Yep, for Back to the Future. And uh, we're also on iTunes and Stitcher. So Facebook. Yeah, so um, for those that didn't pick up the, what is it, the Complete Adventure set? Right. Yeah, the flux capacitor set, yeah. the complete adventures. I think there's another set with like a uh, the out of time license plate. I, was that a Best Buy exclusive? I think. I, I think it was. But I don't think it came with a flux capacitor, so it wasn't no, for me. No, right. And uh, I I don't know how complete theirs is because I think um, their price was like sixty nine dollars, and ours we got for eighty eight, right, on Amazon. Right. The. Amazon price was $88 at first, and it fluctuates up and down a dollar or so here and there. And uh, I've seen it in other places for almost down to 70 so it depends where you shop. Mm, usually uh, Best Buy, they... Price match. They, they do, but um, I, I think I agree with you that uh, it's not the license plate wasn't for me. I mean, what am I going to do with a cardboard license plate? If it was real size, then it would go on my car, and I would totally buy it. Yeah, uh, but the uh, the flux capacitor is pretty cool. It I think it works more um, as a nightlight than it does as a like an actual um, time time travel device. Yeah, right. <laughs> it doesn't make time travel possible in our universe. Unfortunately, that would be cool. But then the whole space time continuum would be messed up because everybody that just bought that set would be able to go back in time and change things. Yeah, that and also uh, we'd be out of more money. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of license plates, did you get your uh, Statler Toyota license plate frame? Oh, gosh, I completely forgot about that. Um, do you want to tell the listeners about that? You sent me uh, this uh, phone number. Right. Well, um, so many different companies have been supporting Back to the Future Day lately, and one of them was Toyota, and they did a whole Statler Toyota campaign with YouTube videos that looked like they were made in the 80s, but they were made pretty much now. The only way you could tell they weren't made in the 80s was they were 16 by 9 instead of 4 by 3, but they still look like old VHS and stuff, which was pretty cool. And uh, part of it was to reserve your new Toyota, whatever that truck is that Marty gets in Back to the Future at the end of Back to the Future, mm-hmm. um, you can reserve one now if you call one eight seven seven, I think Statler, what, something like that. And uh, so they said it to call the number like forty times in the commercial. So I was like, yeah, I'll call the number because I remember Heroes had a phone number like for Primatech Paper, and if you called it up, you you got the guy that worked for Primatech Paper's mailbox. So I figured I'd call, see what it was, and they gave an advertisement for Toyota. The new 1985 models are in, you know, and I thought that was pretty cool. But they said if you press two, then you can get your free Statler Toyota license plate frame. So I did, and it said leave your name and address, and I did that, and it says it's on its way. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah. Um, now you saw this like a on, on a link, right, online or something, or yeah, YouTube. Uh, I think uh, the Back to the Future trilogy Facebook had the link up originally, and that's what I followed. And you don't remember uh, anything saying about like a deadline or anything? Um, no. Okay. Okay. So yeah, I I need <laughs> I keep forgetting I need to get on that. Yeah, it's, it'd be pretty cool just to have a Statler Toyota license plate frame, and hopefully I get an out of time license plate and uh, put it on the car and. Uh, then I don't have to pay for a regular license plate or registration, and hopefully the cop that stops me is a Back to the Future fan. Right. Yeah, that'd be really cool. Um, okay, so we're reviewing Back in Time, as directed by Jason Aaron, uh, release on Future Day. Uh, for those that follow the show, Jason Aaron is uh, the director I just previously interviewed. So we both waited extremely late to watch this movie, and I don't think I did the, that night of, but you did. 
Yes, well, you had indicated to me that it might be on Netflix that night, and you weren't sure if it was 12 or 1 a.m. or what time it was. And for my time zone, the Eastern time zone, it wasn't on at 12.01, but I kept trying every hour just for different time zones. And at 3.01 a.m., it popped on the Netflix, and I was like, yay, and I watched the whole thing. It was it was really good. I liked it. Yeah, so basically that was midnight my time. Right, which is Hill Valley midnight, so I, I guess that works out. That, yeah, that does that makes sense. So you know, all the way to. So I guess those people in Hawaii, I wonder when they got theirs. <laughs> they, they were hating life, <laughs> or they, I guess they didn't get. I don't know. Maybe they got theirs early. You never know. People in Australia already watched it. Okay, so this uh, documentary came out in 2015, and you mentioned a um, a technical glitch. You call it for for the first viewing. It was. It was kind of strange because I didn't understand what was going on, but I was probably one of the first few hundred people to watch the program. And that night, there was no end titles, no opening titles, no titles whatsoever. There was just black frames of video with you know the background music that normally plays over credits. And uh, especially on the end, it's more noticeable because you had the small window of the different actors doing – different outtakes or different anecdotes that they put in the credits that weren't in the main documentary. Right. And uh, up the right side is supposed to be credits, but there were none. Oh, that's so interesting. It's it's weird. It was like uh, there's a copy that gets output for uh, before you put titles on it for like, say, you know, different countries, different languages might have different titles because, you know, producer here, no, they're not going to understand what that means in another country. So they would put a different title before the name. So I think that's the copy that Netflix got originally. But when I watched it the next day, about 24 hours later, the titles were there. Very strange. Did you watch it with subtitles? I did not. Okay, I did, and and they were fine. So uh, I did watch it. Well, I watched it today, so what are we looking at? Three days later? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I, I did attempt to watch it last night and fell asleep and... You know, we were supposed to record last night as well. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the night before, I think I was up probably editing an episode or something, I'm sure. It's just been a, a crazy week, crazy week. And um, for those that are interested, uh, Albie and I will be doing another episode, maybe released the same day, who knows, but um, pretty close together. And that will be about our uh, experience of Future Day. And also we're going to talk about some of the um, – toys and items we've acquired in the past few months here in celebration of Back to the Future's 30th anniversary and also uh, because it's 2015. So uh, we'll just go ahead and get into it. And for those that haven't watched it yet, we will get into spoilers. But we'll just kind of talk about um, our overall thoughts on the documentary first and give a rating. And then and then we'll go, uh, get into the details. So, Albie, uh, what did you think about this documentary? Did it live up to what you had hoped it would be, or what was your expectations, and what was the your thoughts of it after the movie? I had really high expectations of this because I've known it's been coming for so long, and I've been, like, just my mouth's been watering for it. I've been wanting it forever, and... I was not disappointed. I thought it was really put together well. I enjoyed all the interviews in it. I enjoyed the camera work. I enjoyed the editing. The sound was great. And the the basic story of the documentary was just perfect for me. And I learned so much that I didn't know, which surprised me because I've been a fan of Back to the Future for so long. I thought I had known most of it, if not all of it. But I found so much more out, and it was really good. Yeah, I agree with you. I had pretty high expectations as well. I know that uh, Mr. Jason Aaron, you know, spent two years, you know, producing and getting all the interviews and all that. And the man even tore his ACL, like, you know, prior to uh, starting production. Or actually, I think it was the day that it started. But for me, what I expected was to to learn some new things, uh, which I did, obviously. Uh, But we did get... The the only thing it, this is even a nitpick. I don't want to make it sound like a nitpick, but for me, I felt like um, when they interviewed a lot of the people involved in the movies, they were a good chunk of the stuff. They were telling me things I kind of already knew, but it was nice to hear it from their perspective and flesh out some things a little bit more. Like uh, Robert Zemeckis talking um, about Eric Stoltz, you know. So when they talked a little bit more about Eric Stoltz, I did find out more things about that. So just hearing from their perspective and their little spin on it, uh, I, I found it more personable rather than just reading like facts out of a book. So I did enjoy hearing their side of the stories with things. 
And um, also, I just appreciated all the uh, interviews with, you know, these uh, quote-unquote super fans. You know, like uh, this this would be our crowd, right, Alibi? Right. Hey, why weren't we in this? Uh, I think, I, I don't know. I don't have a funny joke. <laughs> <laughs> but I agree with you. I was like, all, all they had to do was type in like, oh, I don't know. How do you find Hydrate Level 4? Exactly. You know, they could have, uh, I, I guess we didn't start the animated series podcast soon enough. Uh, for us to find them. <laughs> you mean putting it out on the same day is not isn't too late? Right, it is. Yeah, because uh, I think, I'm sure they wrapped up way before we even decided to do it. But I, I agree with you that those parts that we found out the stuff that we already knew, they seem to be just like stating the facts again. And like it's the answers that they get to the questions that they get every day. And they, they didn't seem too talkative or happy about that. But the, the new things we found out, it was I think they were more in the mood to talk about those because those are the things that they don't get asked in the you know, three-minute interviews that they normally get. Oh, yeah, I agree. It, it was really nice to kind of, um, yeah, just, just see how everybody is. And you, you can tell that they have that admiration for the franchise. It, it's it's still there. It's very organic. And so that's what I appreciate about this, uh, this documentary. Uh, I guess the biggest issue I had, it was too short. <laughs> <laughs> right? We could have watched it forever, I think. I, absolutely. Uh, when it ended, I go, wow, it wasn't even like building up to an end. It just kind of, it was... Not abrupt, but I was I was like, oh no, come on, they could have gone just a little bit more. Um, Since so, we both watched it on Netflix, I wonder if on the Blu-ray there's an expanded version or just extra footage of different things. Because I noticed in the end credits when it did have them the second time I watched it that there was a bunch of interviews that they interviewed people, but it didn't. But it didn't make the documentary. Right. Yeah, I, I do know that there's supposed to be a lot of bonus features. You know, some uh, some extra footage. If you actually go on their website, there's there's some some videos on there too. I didn't get to watch them all. There's actually quite a bit, surprisingly, but they're all a few minutes each. So maybe some of those ended up on the Blu-ray. Who knows? That would be nice. I'm I'm definitely going to pick up the Blu-ray next time I see it. Me too. I actually went to go um, to Best Buy yesterday. They are not scheduled to have it on Blu-ray until the 27th. Ah. Uh, October 27th. So uh, as of this recording, it has not been released yet. So yeah, so you and I both watched it on Netflix. The last time I looked on Amazon, it was sold out, which is a good thing for them. Great yeah. thing. Yeah, and that's uh, I'm going to say that's the reason why I didn't get mine, you know, because it was already <laughs> sold out on Amazon. Um, but to, to be fair, I purposely didn't order it yet because I figured I would just go to Best Buy because I already knew that it was going to be available on Netflix and I was banking on it to come out on a certain date and hopefully we'd review it as soon as possible um, to kind of try to beat everybody else. But, you know, we, we it, it was busy. It was really busy for us. It was a very busy day for every Back to the Future fan, I think. Yeah, I don't know what the longest amount of sleep you actually got during this week, but I think mine was probably four hours I was going to say four hours, yeah. Yeah, four hours on a weekday, a uh, weeknight and a work day. So, um, yeah, yeah, not fun going to work on four hours of sleep. Are you able to give like a like a out of a five star rating? Would you be able to give it a rating? I could. Would you like me to? Go ahead. Yeah, you do one, and uh, I'll kind of think about it. I will give it out of five. I will give it five marriage proposals in front of Christopher Lloyd. That that was pretty awesome. I I nearly teared up. I, I did. I don't know why. It just marriage proposals. Uh, they get me going. Yeah. They they uh, make me a little bit emotional, and I'm a man. <laughs> we and we will definitely get to that scene. Let's see. Uh, I'm gonna give it a 4.9 flux capacitor 80s cover band. Oh, the flux capacitors are awesome, aren't they? Yeah, they're pretty cool. I I talked to Ryan, who was, I think the one with the blue hair. Was it blue or is it green? I forget. It was definitely not normal. N not a natural hair color. Right. Not on this planet. Right. So um, I I've talked to him, and they were going to talk about getting back to me for an interview. So hopefully that works out. But, you know, uh, we'll we'll talk about it as this comes up. But um, uh, they're, they're not available at this time. So I'm, I'm going to go 4.9. And that's because my biggest issue is that every time we saw um, a new person being interviewed, and this I'm hoping that it's because it's the Netflix version, but we didn't see any title cards, so we didn't know who was talking. It was very strange. So I'm thinking it's a Netflix thing. I'd like to see the Blu-ray version when I – well, when I do, but I think it's all there in the Blu-ray version. Yeah, so if it is, then I'll raise it to a 5 because I really uh, – the, the reason why I, I give it a 5 is because I wanted more. So if it didn't give me enough, I probably could have given it a lower grade, you know, but I really enjoyed uh, the, the work he put in and uh, presenting uh, a really good story about this fandom, you know, of the franchise. 
I thought it was a perfect documentary. Uh, I have two documentary films that I want to make, and I would love them to be almost as good as this one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You, you know, maybe you should do a Kickstarter like uh, Jason Aaron did. I'm thinking about it. Yeah. Okay, at this point, if you haven't watched it yet and don't want to be spoiled on what's in the documentary, go ahead, pause it, watch it, and then come back and finish and listen to us talk about it. Okay, so the what I like about the opening of this documentary is we get to see the DeLorean. Uh, it's being driven. I don't think we know by who, but it's driving around like a, I guess you, call, you can call it a countryside, and it's really peaceful, you know, kind of serene. And you get this acoustic um, version of the Back to the Future theme. So I, I really like the opening of this movie. I like that acoustic version, and I, I like the visual of the DeLorean driving. I think it was the couple that do it for the Fox Foundation, not sure, but it's it was really a nice opening and nice visuals. The the them driving reminded me uh, from the scenes in Blade Runner at the end of Blade Runner or from The Shining. Oh, I've seen both movies. I don't remember the ending, but the The Shining was filmed in Oregon over by Mount Hood if I'm not mistaken. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen the documentary, but I want to see if I, you know, see anything I recognize from town. But um, that couple that you um, referenced, they're uh, Terry and Oliver Holler. And I actually met them at the uh, Portland Wizard World two years ago. And um, that's the first time I ever got to uh, take a picture while sitting inside the DeLorean. So that's the, the famous picture you've seen of me taking selfies from within inside. Very cool. And that's the picture that's on the animated series website that we have. Oh, right. Yeah. And uh, so Phoenix and I, we took a picture with them. And it's cool, too, because you get to see their DeLorean. And of of the few that I've seen in person, theirs is the only one that has the hoverboard, um, you know, like kind of propped up in front of it. So you can have two people taking a picture, one on the hoverboard, one sitting inside. That's a cool idea. I can't wait to do that myself. Yeah, they, they were very sweet. I, I had no idea that um, they were that well known. Um, because I knew that they were part of the the Fox Foundation, but I just thought, I mean, they they even say that they're volunteers, uh, you know, in the film, but also there. But I didn't know how big they were, you know. I and I only knew until after I interviewed um, Hyper Shadow cosplayer who dressed up as Marty McFly at the second Wizard World uh, that I went to, and so she told me that she had uh, met them and told me a little bit more about them too. So I. So it was kind of neat to see them in this documentary, but they're very sweet people, and they um, they also have a bunch of nice uh, collectibles that you can buy from them, and all of that, again, all goes to uh, charity. I like the story of how they paused the VHS and tried to replicate what the DeLorean looked like, what the time machine looked like, because I've done that with things way back then when that's the only really reference material you would have to build some cosplay or something cool that you saw on TV was just pausing a VHS and drawing it. Yeah, actually, um, I did that too. And the first thing that I remember, uh, or the first thing that comes to mind is, did you ever see, I want to say it was called 18 Again or 17 Again with George, George Burns? Burns? Yes, yeah. 18 Again. Yes. And yeah, it was really good. Yeah, the uh, the father, I, for whatever reason, one day I paused the frame on his face and I drew a picture of him. <laughs> and I remember drawing the picture, and uh, the actor kind of had bigger ears, and I remember drawing that, and I was like, hey, I'm doing a good job. <laughs> the best way we could screen cap back then was tracing paper and tape. Yeah, just that idea alone, having to pause any time the DeLorean was shown, that's how uh, Oliver, he that's how he sketched the, the pieces of the DeLorean, and uh, they had to manufacture everything by hand and whatever... Uh, items they can find that you know kind of resembles these pieces so it's amazing job that they did and i think it's cool that the uh, the guys that actually designed the delorean they're like yeah you know from afar um <laughs> you know it looks really good but when you get close you can tell that you know these are just really handmade isn't that kind of like a monet it looks like good really far away but up close it's kind of like mm, you know right right and i just thought that was really cool that they got it as good as they could considering the quality of the reference so it did look perfect from far away but when you got close you're like what 
Yeah, and you know what? I couldn't tell the difference. I mean, they they used theirs, and you know, I was up close and personal to it. I would be happy to own that car. Oh, absolutely. And you know what? How many of us have seen the DeLorean enough to know whether or not the item was right? But you know, these these guys that were saying that obviously they had a a hand in building the the actual ones used in the movie. So I I could understand that. It was great to find out that the same guy that designed the time machine designed kit from Knight Rider because those are two cars that I would love to own. Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, and I, to, to be honest, I mean, um, I just think it's too plain of a car on the outside. The inside looks cool. Yeah, but it's supposed to go unnoticed because he's operating above the law, oh, okay. Michael Knight. I got it. See, I, I, I've never watched. It's it's a good show. It's it doesn't hold up really. Like uh, when I was a kid, I loved it, and watching it as an adult, I'm like, wow, it's not as good as I thought it was. Oh, okay, but the car's awesome. Yeah, it it is. You know, um, I just wasn't a fan of the show, so it's not really a thing for me. Um, now Robert Zemeckis, I think it was Robert Zemeckis that dropped this, and I was pretty surprised. It actually could have been Bob Gale, but they mentioned that the running title was a uh, Professor Brown visits the future. I think that was Robert Zemeckis that said that, yeah. Okay. <laughs> that was not what happened until part two, I guess. You're right, you're right. Uh, or actually, technically, the end of part one where he was supposed to go right. 25 years. Did he go 25 or 30? No, 25 was in the beginning of the movie where he says he's going to go 25 years into the future. And then 30 at the end. At, at the end, he did change it to 30. Yeah, because uh, Marty says 47. He'd be hmm. 47 then. But uh, that title, I would... Go with, um, you know, cause I, I don't know about the spaceman from Pluto. That's that's, that's not a sexy title. <laughs> no, whoever came up with the title Back to the Future, they win the award because that's half of, I think, getting you into theaters because the title is amazing. It is. I mean, uh, I think it's crazy to even think that the second movie was supposed to be called Paradox. Because there was two docs? Uh, I, I think, yeah, it was a play on that, but because of the, the, the plot in part two. I enjoyed Bob Gale talking about the origin of the story idea about thinking about his father and if he went to school with his father, would he be friends with him? Yeah, I've always heard that story. And what I liked about him telling it in this movie is because he says that, you know, he always wondered, you know, how if he would have gotten along with his dad because the the class president of his class was a jerk. So that was the part I've never heard before, you know, so that made him think like, would my dad have, you know, that kind of thing. So it was just a little bit more fleshed out as far as the story goes. Did you uh, notice, like, the minor camera movements during interviews? I did. I just love the camera work in the whole documentary. I don't know if it's because I film a lot or I just watch it from an editor's perspective, but I just enjoyed it, and I love the cameras they were using, number one. I have no idea what cameras they were using, but they were very high quality. My guess is, like, a red camera. But it looked like it was filmed in 4K, 5K, 8K, something like that, because um, you could actually see the pores of the people being interviewed. You could see individual hairs in their eyebrows. And uh, just the camera moves like you were talking about, they were just slowly panning around the interviewee, and it, it was really, really done well. Yeah, I um, in my notes, I described it as a slow sweeping motion because it, mm. it was more of like, you know, it sweeps and it dips and then comes back up kind of thing rather than just a straight lateral uh, pan? Or am I remembering that wrong? No, you, you got it right. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I thought that was really cool to see. And so I guess it wasn't just me, you, you saying that maybe it was 4K or something like that. I was thinking, like, this is pretty high quality for being, like, streaming on Netflix. So that's that's interesting that you pointed that out. So that's really cool. He really put a lot of work into this. The 1080p is really good, but if you start with that as the beginning, it's not as good as when you start off with a really high-quality master and then downsize it to 1080p, which is, I think, what happened. So kudos to the director and photographer and everyone involved in this film just because it, it's a great story. Even if the camera work or the, the shots were not that good, the story was amazing. But on top of that, we get the beautiful camera work and the editing is great. Yeah, hopefully they get like some kind of nomination for like the editing and um, things like that. At, at the least, I, I think this was just a beautiful shot movie. 
Um, one of the parts that I liked uh, was the interview with uh, Steven Spielberg. And they, they kind of jump around, too, so it's not like, you know, one person at a time. But uh, it's the point where um, Steven Spielberg, you know, kind of compared Doc, Doc and Marty to, like, Laurel and Hardy, Abbott and Costello. And um, Bob Gale then mentions that, uh, you know, people just didn't question the relationship back then like they do now, wondering, you know, what's up with Doc? Is he like a child molester or, you know, things like that. I'm like, wow, that's, that's pretty dark stuff. But um, it was just interesting that, you know, how times have changed, that nobody really cared how they met, you know, when it first came out. It was just assumed that they were just friends. Back then, it wouldn't have been suspicious like everything is now today. Yeah. And uh, there might be a time that you and me talk about how they met in a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to spoil that now because I'm – you know, I do four different shows. I'm sure not everybody follows all four of them. But, uh, Albie, you and I, we've just discussed off mic that we'll cover the uh, Back to the Future comics uh, with issue one just being released uh, this week of uh, Future Week. And so, anyway, for those, you know, want to subscribe or even visit the site, again, barrenspace.com backslash BTTF, uh, you and I will cover the issues, but we're going to do it by episodes, not by issue, because I think... I think originally they were going to do four, but now a fifth has been added. At mm. least that's what the guy at the comic book store told me. Um, he says, oh, it looks like they added a fifth uh, issue. So, But issue number one has two stories. So two episodes coming soon in the future, uh, with the first one possibly very soon. So like the Facebook page, Hydrate Level 4, and you'll at least get the link there too. And speaking of how Doc and Marty met and why they were friends and things and why they hung out together and people didn't think it was weird, I like the person in the documentary that talked about Rick and Morty, the cartoon show, mm -hmm. and how it kind of like mirrored the whole Doc and Marty relationship. And that turned me on to watching Rick and Morty. And the day after Future Day, I watched seven episodes in a row, and I'm in love with the show, and I can't wait to watch the rest of it. So it was cool that I got introduced to something new that I had never heard about. Oh, that's awesome. I I've have heard of it, and people have told me, well, you know, you like Back to the Future, you should like this. And, you know, I, I could see why, but yeah, I haven't even tried it. But if you like it, I'll, I'll definitely check it out. It was funny. Yeah. Um, that's, that, you know, I, I think now's a great time to, to bring this up. But during this documentary, I was thinking, you know what? I should shoot Jason Aaron an email and say, you know what would be an awesome follow-up to this? Is if somebody gathered, and this would be more like some kind of a project um, rather than like a movie or a film. But... um I think that they should find, like, all the archives of, like, all the sitcoms and animated cartoons, like, any episodes that are basically pay paying a tribute to Back to the Future, all of those should go on, like, one Blu-ray or DVD. And then, that would be awesome. Yeah, wouldn't it be? It's, it, because, because they showed, uh, wasn't it American Dad? Right, I remember seeing that episode when it aired. See, I, I don't watch that show, so I never knew that uh, episode existed. But how cool you know, would it be to own like a Blu-ray with all the episodes of sitcoms you've never watched that have like, a, uh, like an episode you know, exclusively uh, about Back to the Future? So I think that'd just be awesome. We wouldn't have to like, do all the looking. It would be a licensing nightmare, but it would be an amazing disc to own. Oh, okay. Speaking of, they show that episode of the Goldbergs where the kid character on the show tells his friends that he rode a hoverboard and then he tries to make home video of him riding a hoverboard. I thought that was amazing. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. Uh, the Goldbergs was a show I was really on board with early on. And I think after like, gosh, I don't know, like 10 episodes, I'm like, ah, oh, it's really hard to catch up on. And I think what really did it well obviously I was watching a lot of other shows but I was like well they're only half an hour how hard it would be to catch back up well I guess once you stop it's really hard <laughs> to catch back up but on that day that you sit down and watch them you can watch like a whole season in a few hours yeah that's a good point that's that's what I did with a uh, big bang theory I've never watched it watched it but I swear every time I visit my mother that's all that's on the television so I've seen most of it not even trying but I missed the Back to the Future episode. Uh, now, do you watch Big Bang Theory? Oh, yeah. But, uh, again, only when I go to my mother's and it's on because that's her other show she watches. But you and I, uh -huh. and I, She's 79, and I asked her, do you understand what they're talking about? She says, I have no idea, but they're funny. Uh, did you, you see that one episode where Sheldon talked about Back to the Future? I think so, yeah. Yeah, I think there uh, – I'm sure there were YouTube clips all over 
Facebook, you know, when it happened. But uh, I think they were trying to like debunk the the time travel and stuff or or something. I for, I forget, but I remember really enjoying it. Which uh, I'll be. I, I think we should probably share that on the uh, animated series podcast. Sounds great. Have we mentioned we have a animated series podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Synergy. <laughs> okay. Um, I wanted to do to kind of briefly talk about the Eric Stoltz. Um, I think by now, for those that you know have become you know even new fans, should at least know by now that you know Michael G. Fox was at least the um, you know the first choice. But they filmed what five six weeks with Eric Stoltz uh, before ultimately getting Michael J. Fox finally. So we we kind of knew that things weren't working out. But this one they talk a little bit more. Um, but also. Anybody that follows the show, I interviewed author uh, Cassine Gaines, who wrote the uh, making of the Back to the Future trilogy, the the, the book called uh, We Don't Need Roads. Um, in that interview, he did tell me a little bit more that, you know, it was about the humor not working. And uh, he found this out from Leah Thompson interviewing her. And she just said it was during a table read that Eric just wasn't getting the, the humor of the story and just found the story kind of sad. You know, uh, Marty going back to a present time that he no longer knows. You know, he, he's a stranger in his own time. Um, I'm paraphrasing, obviously. And in here, Zemeckis, yeah, he just said the humor wasn't working and that he didn't want to believe that it wasn't working. And that's why they kept shooting for so long. And I think those words and the way he explained it, that, that made uh, the... The story even sadder, you know that that he just he just refused to believe that this guy just wasn't funny, you know, and just kept on shooting, and so the moment that he does fire him, it just it, it hits even harder. He's a great actor. It just he wasn't right for the role of Marty McFly. Mm -hmm. The most exciting thing about that is what Bob Gale said: is the footage is still out there and it will be released one day. I can't wait. Oh yeah, yeah. He says, uh, yeah, it, it will be released. But they just don't know when or something like that, yeah. Yeah, but when he said it wasn't destroyed, that means it's there. Right. So we can see it Blu-ray quality or whatever at the time is then UHD, Blu-ray, UHD, Blu-ray quality, whatever it is at the time. But we're going to be able to see it. And then someday someone will probably make like a really super cool edit, like alternate reality edit of Back to the Future with all the Eric Stoltz footage. Oh, that, that would be really cool. And they should do something where it is him... He walks into some kind of portal, and then it's Michael J. Fox for the rest of the movie. It reminded me of two things hearing about that, which is one, uh, Eric Stoltz and the butterfly effect, because it's time travel and different things, and it's kind of like referred to a little bit. And then, of course, the television series Fringe, when they go to an alternate universe, the back it says on the movie uh, marquee, Back to the Future, starring Eric Stoltz. Oh, I remember, I think, I don't know if I saw that episode or someone just shared the story with me. But uh, yeah, that that was really cool. But what you know, what I was just thinking when you were talking is, what if they released the footage with Eric Stoltz in a movie, and then something happened where George wasn't the dad, and that's why it's Marty now. Ooh. Did that get dark? No, I think that's a great idea. I think you could make definitely make something out of that. Because what if Marty actually ended up being Biff's son because of what happened in the events of Part One? And then animated Marty would be not Marty, but Marty Jr. There you go. <laughs> wow. There's a story for somebody there. That was for someone who listens to everything you do. Yeah, uh, myself. So I'm not very talented in taking that material and turning that into anything. <laughs> uh, the Flux Capacitors. You, you know what? The very first time I have uh, seen anything on, these, uh, on this cover band was, um, I think, a video or something of theirs that you liked on Facebook. So I didn't even, I don't, I'm sure I would have found out about them eventually, but that's where the first time I had seen this group was on a like of yours. They're cool guys, and um, there was like an urban legend going on. I don't know if it's true, I doubt it, that uh, the two of the people in the band are actually Jules and Vern from Part 3. Oh, that would be really cool to find out. That's where I first heard of them, but I don't know if that's true or just something made up by Abraham Lincoln on the internet. Yeah, very interesting. Now, I don't know if, if this was in the documentary or um, the director, Jason Aaron, told me, but um, I think one is still doing – no, I heard him on somebody else's podcast. Uh, I would have credited them, but I don't remember which one. But uh, they said that uh, one of those boys are still working and the other one isn't, and they kind of joked that the, the little one that was um, 
you know, doing these hand motions in part three. Is the one that's... Pointing, pointing to his bikini area. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they, they joke that he's the one that's no longer around. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can't do that in a major motion picture. Well, really. he did. <laughs> like, come here, come here, look at my jump. Come here, look at my jump. I showed I showed Heather that on Future Day when we were watching the trilogy, and, uh, and she was like, really? That made the movie? I was like, I don't know how, but it's there. Yeah, I have a story, but I'll bring that up uh, when we talk about that on that episode. So a little All teaser right. there and a way for you guys to go and listen to that episode. Um, Come here. Come yeah. here. Look, at my, yeah. look at my junk. Come here. Um, <laughs> did you have any thoughts on the flux capacitors, the the band? Just that if they come around to my area, I'm definitely going to go see them. Yeah, I think they're they're from like the L.A. area, right? Right, and I'm on the other diagonal end of the country. Did you uh, get a chance to look at the the tour dates for the Back in Time tour? I did not. Do you know about the Back in Time tour? I do not. Okay, you need to listen to the Jason Aaron uh, episode, the interview. <laughs> uh, I think. Oh no! Well, they brought it up in the in the uh, documentary. So part of the Back in Time release thing here, they got the uh, the, the tour. They're going to I want to say thirteen select cities uh, around the country, and they're going to be doing um, a showing of the movie, and also the flux capacitors will be performing. So, Very cool. Yeah, and they're, they're going to be traveling by this bus, too, so they're um, not going to be making it up to the Pacific Northwest, unfortunately. And I think I would have to go to, what's closer to me, Utah or Colorado? <laughs> it's been a while since I've looked at an actual map of the U.S., but uh, it, it would either have to be like somewhere like Northern California or either Utah or Colorado, whichever is closer to Oregon. I feel like an idiot. Um, Colorado? <laughs> Ge- geography isn't our strong point. No, it's not. Um, Idaho? I, with the potatoes? I, Iowa. I don't, know if, I don't know if Idaho's in one. But anyway, I mean... Florida? Uh, the, the, the tour dates and locations, they're online on the uh, uh, backintimefilm.com. But uh, yeah, you should check it out because maybe they will be coming near you. Never know. That's cool. I'm pretty... Pretty much the same distance between Tampa, Miami, and Orlando. So oh. any any of those they come to, I'd be you'd love to see them. M- must be nice, Albie. You must uh, struggle with the weather down there. <laughs> it's very humid. It's like a sauna. Yeah. Uh, so the time machine, uh, the the DeLorean here, I thought it was really cool that they showed us uh, a lot of different concepts. And they mentioned that it was about 33 years ago since the uh, last one was uh, manufactured. And there's roughly 6,500 left. That's still a lot. It's pretty cool. I think it has a lot to do with the stainless steel construction because steel cars just rust and then deteriorate while stainless steel does not. Oh, that's a very good point. Um, I wonder, would it be, I wonder what would be cheaper to get one that um, you need to kind of restore into a DeLorean or purchase a DeLorean one already made? I mean, like a time machine one already made. It'd probably be cheaper to do it yourself. If, you know, because you could do it as you go, it'd be more fun, I think. Yeah, it, it would be a, a better experience, and, and, you know, you'd have a really cool story, you know, that you actually put in all this time and work uh, into restoring it. And I think there's a lot of places online that you can order, you know, pre-made parts for that. So it, it, it'd be relatively easy, not like when people started making their DeLoreans in the time machines, because now you can just pretty much order kits and put it in yourself over a weekend. But I think any opportunity you have to buy any DeLorean, you should take it. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I remember when I was in middle school, I, I've told this story before to somebody, but um, I used to, my, my bus stop used to be uh, in front of this house that actually owned a DeLorean. And so how cool was that for me to like, wake up and want to go to my bus stop just to go to school, <laughs> just so I could see the DeLorean there. But I remember one time it was for sale. It had a for sale sign. I'm like, you kidding me? Like, well, if, wow. I, if I had the money, I'd do it. Yeah, I saw a DeLorean for sale once. It didn't have a price on it, and my bank account had about $13, so I didn't even stop. But I was just – that's the time in your life where you're like, I should have made better decisions. Well, I mean, th- you can probably finance it, you know, start some, somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you 10 and then a dollar a week for the next uh, million years. <laughs> yeah. Did you enjoy the part of the documentary about how they took the original – cars from the movies that were deteriorating in, in the both Universal theme parks and restored them? Yeah, and it was just sad, the, the whole story, too, how it would just sit on the lot. At first, you know, it was there on uh, display, and then it, it found its way to, like, some part in, like, the back where 
you know, not even really part of the uh, tour anymore. And they were talking about the case for the California Universal Studios, but the same thing happened in Orlando because I remember visiting it all the time. And at first it was like the huge centerpiece of the park and then it moved closer to the ride and then it moved to some random location that really there wasn't anything. And then it moved to like the back of the park and you could hardly see it. And in the case of the Orlando version, people weren't stealing parts off of it, but it was just from the weather and the water getting in, it was just looking horrible and it was really bad. But last time I did see it, it was nice and restored and beautiful. So so it's, it's lucky that somebody finally knew what they had and they needed to fix it. Yeah, the last time I saw it at Universal um, Studios Hollywood is actually when it was the very last time before they closed down to make the the Simpsons ride. Uh. Yeah, so that was the last time I was um, there. And, you know, I've, again, I've told this story, but uh, the rule was when we went there, if one of us couldn't get on the ride for whatever reason, no one would go on at all. And Phoenix was too short for the Back to the Future ride, and there was my last chance to get on the ride before it actually closed. So, but I, I did see the DeLorean outside, and it looked like it was withering away, uh, which was really sad. But um, got a picture with it somewhere, I'd imagine. Makes no sense to me why they would distance themselves from Back to the Future when it's such a popular fan favorite. Maybe they just had no idea what they really had. Yeah, you know, there was uh, one other thing that they showed um, in, and I guess they said it was at Universal Studios in California, but it, it looked like some kind of room where the, De- the DeLorean was. And like all these other uh, props, like in the same room, I don't remember seeing that at all. And I hope it's not one of the attractions I wanted to see. And Phoenix was like, <laughs> you know, I don't really care. But um, I forgot the, the the place. It was like some kind of like a like a effects attraction or, or something. I forget. Yeah, they have that in the, the Orlando one too. When I was hearing the guy who restored it helped Universal restore it because he did his own, and he was telling stories how the dads come in and they're so happy and excited to see it and explain it to their kids, and the kids are like, yeah, it's a car. I was thinking like uh, Peter and Phoenix. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Are you talking about the the Shays, the ones that own the ones on stage? I mean, uh, not one on stage, but the the ones on screen. Okay. But there was one guy that was talking to another man wearing a beanie. I don't know if you remember that, but the man in the beanie is the director, Jason Aaron. Oh, yeah. very cool. So I think that was his only uh, appearance on, on screen. So uh, just a personal question here. How did it feel watching the documentary after talking to the person responsible for it? That had to be amazing. That was pretty cool. And, you know, even he said that it was surreal to, to talk to everybody. And um, it's it's funny because I've heard um, – I've seen documentaries where you just see the director a lot and you're kind of like, why are we looking at you? (laughs) You know, like you you shouldn't be showing yourself too much on screen. But Mm -hmm. I think because I interviewed the man, I was like, I want to see you more. You know, like, you know, I just (laughs) talked to you and I see I see I've seen pictures, but I I, want to see you interact with some of these people. But, yeah, we only got to see him in the the, the one shot. But, um, you know, I feel very privileged, I guess, to have talked to him. You know, and to share his stories and talk about his experience with things. And um, it was just cool that he talked about things in the movie and just to see it in the movie. It was just it was really, really cool. The interview you did with him is on my phone. I just haven't listened to it yet. Oh, yeah. No problem. No, (laughs) I'm sure you didn't have a lot of time. So it's been a busy week. Absolutely. I mean, you and I have spent a lot of time together, too, this week, uh, just recording and such. You want to talk a little bit about things you might not have liked so much at a, in the documentary? Uh, I still have a lot of – but, yeah, we, we can. Uh... The only – I can only think of a couple things that I didn't like about Back in Time, and that would be every Back to the Future documentary, news story, article you always read, there's always a link to flying cars because flying cars were so prominent in Back to the Future in Part 2. And uh, they always focus on one of a few different companies that say they have a flying car. But to me, they're just companies that make airplanes that their wings fold up. They're not really flying cars. Yeah, I I remember thinking the same thing. Like that guy sounded very passionate about, you know, this, this flying car. But I was like, that's that's a plane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a plane. It doesn't look like a car. It's got bicycle tires. I mean, it's really cool that you can drive it on the highway. And it's cool that it flies. But you're pretty much driving a plane to an airport you know what i was thinking i go you can't park that anywhere (laughs) (laughs) but i just kind of groan when i hear about that it's like yeah it's like when they talk about hoverboards that aren't the two hoverboards that actually hover you know yeah it's it's kind of like when you see the the flying train at the end of part three 
you it, it it's hard to believe that's a flying train because of the wings that come out of it it almost makes it look like a spacecraft now i don't know if you have that issue with it i i do with the uh the flying train i never did but next time i watch it i might yeah because you know the you know what i'm talking about the the wings kind of um come outwards yeah. from the side yeah it to, to me it just looks more of a spaceship yeah, that might be an interesting episode to come, uh, Back to the Future in Space. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll read it. You know, you can name that one Back to the Future, Spaceman from Pluto. Space Train. Uh, yeah, the Space Train, I like that. Back to the Future 4, Space Train. Yeah. <laughs> Not while Robert Zemeckis is alive. So when he one day unfortunately passes away, all of us are going to think, hey, maybe we get a 4 now. The gentleman that was wearing the Rick and Morty shirt, was, was he the creator of that show? I have no idea. That was my only other nitpick with the film was that he mentioned that Back to the Future 2 and 3 weren't any good. And I was like, what are you talking about? Yeah, I, I'm i going to quote the man. Unfortunately, you know, there was no title, so I don't know his name. But he said Back to the Future 2 and 3 sucks. Yeah. So um, I thought that was very ballsy of uh, Mr. Jason Aaron to, to leave that in. But I, I can see why, because it's like the, the man was being genuine. That's... That's his opinion, you know? Right. So, yeah, I completely get that. But I was kind of like, ooh, you know? But, you know, some people, the, the part two is their favorite of the three. You know? Yeah. I, I haven't heard anyone say three is their favorite. But, you know, but, uh, I just thought it was interesting. I didn't dislike it or, or like it either way. I was just kind of like, oh, that's that's interesting that he left that in there. Well, I definitely disagree with him on that. I, I love all three movies. And I wanted to ask you, what's your favorite movie out of the three? I'd have to say the first one, but Albie, you you kind of tricked me there, uh, because my answer is always what are you talking about? It's one big movie. It's Back to the Future: The Saga. It really is. It yeah. really is. Because you can't have one without the other. You're absolutely right because they 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 go right into each other. And usually sequels are like days, maybe weeks, years in between, but this one they're literally minutes. You know, I mean, most of them, they pick up exactly where the last one left off. So it is one continuous movie. So what is your favorite movie? That's hard to say because I really love part one because that's the one that brought me into the whole fandom and the universe of Back to the Future. And that's the one I've probably seen the most because I wore out two VHS copies watching it. And, uh, of course, I've had every version of it since and watched it, I'd say, without exaggeration, over a thousand times. But that's the perfect film ever made. And I'll agree with what everybody said in the documentary that it is probably the most perfect film made. But um, part two came out in 89, and I was 14 years old. And that film just it had a certain type of magic for me. And I really enjoyed it. And every minute of part two is just magical for me. And I love watching it. So in my teens, I think I liked part two more than part one. And when part three came out, I was a kid. I was 15 maybe. And Westerns were just not cool at the time. And I didn't enjoy them. I didn't understand them. So it was my least favorite. But I think as I've aged and now I'm 40, uh, I can appreciate a Western. And I enjoy Back to the Future 3 as much as I do the other two. So I think I like all of them. Yeah, I like all of them, and just to kind of, um, I guess, expand my answer a little bit, but 2 and 3, they're 10s to me. Number 1's an 11. You know? There you so, go. There so, you go. Yeah, and, and the only reason is is because 2 and 3 has Jennifer Parker number 2. So that's, again, I uh, anybody that knows me knows that I am not a fan of recasts. And so on that point, one of the things I've noticed is, and I'm sure there's a good reason for this, but any time you see, you know, events and things that relate to Back to the Future, the Jennifer Parker that is always around is Claudia Wells. You don't ever see Elizabeth Shue, you know, at these things as Jennifer Parker. I just wanted to see them together once and they look at each other and both fall down. Yeah, I hate to see who says, you know, I'm old or I'm young. Right. I wonder why Elizabeth Shue doesn't get involved with this kind of stuff. I just think because she's still actively, like, really working. I mean, isn't she on one of the CSIs? <laughs> yeah, she's got, uh, she's got, she's a little bit busy right now. But it would have been nice to see her in a documentary here or there. But it's nice to see Claudia Wells. And it would have been nice for her to do part two and three. I mean, because the role wasn't that very demanding. But it would have been just nice for the continuity. Because, like, from Star Trek two to three, they changed Savix, and it's just off-putting. Is Savick a person? Yeah, she's a Vulcan. She's uh, Spock's friend. And originally she was Christy Alley. And ah. Christy Alley wouldn't come back for part three or four, so they got Robin Curtis. 
which Robin Curtis, I think, is a better Savick than Christy Alley, but it was just kind of weird that she wouldn't come back. Something to do with William Shatner kept hitting on her. What? He does that? <laughs> He's famous for sleeping with all his female co-stars ever. I've never heard of that before. And I guess she was one of the ones that said no, so she didn't appreciate it. You know, I actually saw the man uh, earlier this year at Wizard World, and I think he showed up like 7 o'clock on Saturday. It's like, uh, that's a long time to to wait for for the man if you were a big fan of his. Uh, I, I paid the money, waited in line, met him for 22 seconds, and it was amazing. Wow, 22 seconds. Did you um, ask him how it felt to be in Miss Congeniality? <laughs> Not at all. I, I, yeah, you're just like, you know, you walk in the room and there's William Shatner. He's looking at you and smiling and you're like, it's William Shatner. And you kind of go like, uh, you're awesome. We love you. And then you take a picture and then you move on. Golf to the future. What did you think of that? I was confused at first, but after watching it a couple times, I understood that he built the mini golf course in his backyard and I guess raised money for charity having Goldie Wilson and... and Jennifer Parker there in a car that's in a box or something? Uh, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> it, it was interesting, but um, it made me want to go play a little putt-putt at his house. Yeah, I'd, st- I'd stop by. Sure, why not? Yeah, it looked really cool. Uh, just, you know, a Back to the Future-themed uh, uh, golf course, basically. But didn't he want to call it, like, a Jennifer Parker hole or something? <laughs> yeah, that was kind of silly. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, I, I wonder what Claudia Wells thought of that. She's like, no, Back to the Future. Um, okay, so Bill and Patrick Shea, uh, I guess these, if I remember correctly, these were the first guys to be interviewed um, because this is when I think uh, Jason Aaron um, um, tore his ACL was uh, when he was supposed to go see them or, or something. Uh, I'm kind of remembering this. I think I might be remembering this wrong. But anyway, the um, it's really cool because they're the owners of the vehicles that were uh, on screen. They have the DeLorean from Back to the Future 3 with the 1955 tires. And is, is that a hubcap, that, that round part? In... It looked like it, yeah. Okay. So it, so he, they have that one. They have the 1985-86 uh, Statler Toyota. Yes, which is really cool. And what else? I, I want to say there's a third and fourth vehicle, or is there only three? Uh, they had the van and the Back to the Future from 2 and from 3, so... Okay, so they had um, DeLoreans from 2 and 3, then they had the Statler Toyota, and then the Libyans van. Right. Right, okay. And those are all the screen ones, too. I thought it was really cool to see that those cars still exist and that someone's caring for them that well. Yeah, I agree. Uh, You mentioned the proposal at the uh, DeLorean. uh, What's DCS stand for? Do you remember? I have no idea, but uh, I like that part. Yeah, it was really nice because... um, this guy named Nick, he proposes to, I don't know if they were even engaged, but uh, they proposed at the, you know, it's like a DeLorean convention. And um, the, I guess the person moderating was the, the man, the, the actor who played Marvin Berry. And uh, Nick, he didn't know that Christopher Lloyd and uh, Donald uh, Fullalove and Claudia Wells was in the front row. That was nice how they all came up afterwards and took pictures, and then the guy was singing Earth Angel to them. That was amazing. Yeah, yeah, I, I really liked that. But, um, yeah, you know, kind of teared up. That was really nice. Uh, what did you think about Secret Cinema? Is that the first time you had seen that? No, I saw the uh, short film about the Secret Cinema that happened in the U.K., and I was very jealous of the people that went and wanted to go. And I understand that there was another one in California this year. I don't know if that was the, uh, the the same thing, but they have a We're Going Back campaign in California. But uh, Jason Aaron did tell me that he hears Secret Cinema is coming to L.A. next year. Ah, so, very exciting. Yeah, so that's something to look out for. Uh, we won't go into that too much because it's something you definitely got to see uh, in this documentary. They cover that really well. But basically it's a, you know, a special screening that they do in London currently. So many cool Back to the Future fans out there, and I'm I'm glad to be part of this fandom. Yeah, I I completely agree. Um, the last couple things I got is the TFX, the uh, the flying car concept, which we kind of brought up. But what do you think of the Hendo hoverboard? I think it's really cool. Uh, I like seeing the early test footage of it, and I thought that looked kind of dangerous. The woman had bare feet, and there was these blades going around. At uh, what is it, a uh, hundred and seventy? kilometers per hour 
And, uh, but it was cool to see the proof of concept and how it worked. And I loved how they explained how the Hondo hoverboards work. And it makes sense when he, when they explained it. And I think it's really cool. Uh, to me, the other hoverboards by Lexus are cooler, but there's, the difference for me is whether you want to go along a track or whether you want to go, you know, freestyle on a copper copper sheeting, I guess. Yeah, yeah, those were really cool. Uh, I liked how the movie ended with the, um, you know, the I forgot what was going on, but they had the the shirts. You know, it, it looked like a protest kind of, and they had the uh, n- the word no, and then the Roman numeral four with the uh, the circle and the cross on it, basically saying yeah, they, they don't want a part four. Yeah, what do you think about a part four? I don't know. I'd watch it, but one, two, and three are just perfect, so why mess it up, I guess, is what they're thinking. Yeah, I agree. I don't know if you need to really add to it. I mean, we're kind of getting how Doc and Marty met uh, in these new comic books, but, um, you know, if anybody makes anything back to the future related, I'm going to watch it. Oh, definitely. I'll I'll voice my opinions after, you know, watching. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right now I'll say no, but if they ever do one, obviously I will watch it. And then I'll say, see, I told you, they should not have done this. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I thought it was very interesting that Christopher Lloyd said that he would return for a four, and uh, James Tolkien said he'd be there for a four and a five if they did it. Well, that's great to know that they would be all in for it. I think everybody would be in for it. It was nice to see the little Back to the Future reunion with Christopher Lloyd and Michael J. Fox on the Jimmy Kimmel show. Did you happen to see that? I did. I finally watched it. Um, that was really cool. Uh, it was it was funny. I, I liked it when Christopher Lloyd looked through um, Jimmy's uh, cell phone and asked him what Grinder was. <laughs> <laughs> and for those that don't know, um, well... Maybe you should find out yourself. I don't know. There you go. Look that one up. Do some research. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, what do you think of that? Uh, the talk ten years ago about a Broadway musical. I've I've heard about that, and I hear it's going to eventually be made, and I'll go see it definitely. I'll watch it too. I'm actually excited sure. to go see the uh, the symphony. Um, I forget the the actual what what it's actually called, but they're doing it right now, and they're coming to Portland. I want to say next March, but it's basically a viewing of the movie, and they're going to have a live orchestra play the music. And there's actually new music that was written too for the scenes without music in it. Oh, awesome! Yeah, yeah. I definitely want to see that if it comes around. I love symphonic music, uh, especially like from film scores like Back to the Future or the original Star Trek movies are really good too. So you didn't hear about this yet. Yes. I, I I I've heard about it, but I just didn't know if it's going on tour or not. I that that's new information to me. Okay, yeah, yeah. So yeah, hopefully the the Broadway musical comes in fruition because I, I I would love to see a stage play of this movie, you know, just to see it done. So that would just be it'll be interesting. Cool. Flying yeah. DeLoreans and different things, and be interesting. Be interesting to see if they just do the first movie or just the whole trilogy or just something totally different. Yeah, they'd come for like the weekend, and you'd choose like Friday would be the first one, Saturday's the second. <laughs> like, all right, well, we got to make plans to go watch all three and pay like 50 bucks each time or however much it is. I'll definitely buy the soundtrack. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that's the, that was the movie. That's our thoughts. Hopefully uh, people in, enjoyed it. So let's get into a listener feedback. I've got something for you. A letter. A letter for me? Uh, this comes from Eric H., who is a uh, friend of the show. He is also the host of the uh, It's Just a Dream podcast. The documentary, Back in Time, which about the cultural impact, the trilogy, as well as a little bit of behind-the-scenes stories, is a really well-made documentary. As a fan of the movies, I could really identify with a lot of the fans featured in the documentary. These are people who I'm sure, like me, hum or even listen to the actual music, which I am guilty of, the Alan Silvestri theme when they are going fast down the street in a hurry and they've taken their love for the movies further than some of us can and create their own parks and cars and plays inspired by the movies. I've actually witnessed that in my oldest son, who I didn't realize liked Back to the Future as much as he... uh, as much as he did, who I didn't realize liked Back to the Future as much as I did, maybe. Uh, he, he knew yesterday was Future Day without me telling him, and he hums the theme when he plays with his toy cars and begs me for the Lego Dimension set, even though we don't have the game. 
Most of the behind-the-scenes stuff is common knowledge for fans of the trilogy, but seeing the actors and people behind the camera as they are now is really cool. Although it is hard to see Michael J. Fox now, which I agree, it was really rough.、Um, I highly recommend this documentary to anybody who loves the movies and has not yet seen it. Albi, what do you think of seeing、um, Michael J. Fox just kind of sitting there, and it's really hard for him to obviously sit still with his condition? I actually have written in my notes that he looked good. Because、uh, just having people with Parkinson's in my own family, people that have suffered from it for years, and seeing how it progressively gets worse and worse, I expected Michael J. Fox to be a lot worse off than he was. So to me, he looked good, and I think it's really courageous because a lot of people in the public eye, if they had something like Parkinson's or something that affected their、uh, motion or movement, that they would probably most of them would hide and not show their face. But it's very important for people to see people with Parkinson's disease and see how it affects them, so they know and about it and raise more awareness and possibly help with finding a cure. Yeah, I agree with that, but、uh, I, I don't have anyone else to compare him to that has a condition. So that's great that you think that he actually looks really good. So I'm I'm glad to hear that,、uh, because also on the、uh, Jimmy Kimmel, I know that they try not to have him like stand or sit in one place for very long periods of time. So、uh, he was very the same. So if anyone's seen Kimmel, that's kind of how he was in the documentary as well. Well, he brought up the issue that he really loved the documentary and he thinks every. One should own it. What do you think? Do you think this is、uh, watching on Netflix? Do you think it's a rent it? Do you think it's a buy?、Uh, I absolutely think it's a buy.、Uh, for me, I want the Blu-ray because of all the special features that、uh, you know director Jason Aaron told me about. So I definitely want to see those and own it. And also because Blu-ray is just better quality,、uh, the limited edition set that I just got is also Blu-ray. So why you know get a DVD to go with it? But、um, to kind of answer what you're saying. You know, for the casual fans, maybe you just stream it. You know, for for the fans that collect things, this is definitely a, a must own. I will definitely buy it, and the Blu-ray will go on my shelf right next to the new trilogy set, the 30th anniversary all-inclusive set. Yeah, I agree with that.、Um, Albie, I want to thank you again for coming onto the show. Thank you so much for having me on Hydrate Level Four. I love talking to you and talking about Back to the Future. And again, you want to pimp out the、uh, the shows that the、well, one that you do. QuantumLeapPodcast.com, and of course,、uh, BedtimeWithBruce.com, and check out a conversation with Albie at Albie.ws, and of course, the show me and you do, Peter, which is Back to the Future, the animated series. I don't know if we mentioned that. No, no. And that's at、uh, BarrenSpace.com, kind of like empty space. BarrenSpace.com, and slash capital B T T F. Yep, and also on iTunes and Stitcher, and I think we have six episodes out right now. Six right now, and a lot more to come. Oh, absolutely! So tune in there to、uh, hear those episodes.、Uh, if you want to email in about the documentary or anything else that we've talked about, again, I'll be—you'll be joining me to talk more about Feature Day and、uh, some of the toys and collectibles that we've、um, bought this year.、Uh, but yeah, the email is hlfpodcast@gmail.com. We're also on、uh, iTunes and Stitcher,、uh, Instagram, and Twitter is at hlfpodcast. And follow the Facebook page. Give us a like. That way, you can get the links to all the other shows that I do,、uh, and just get all the updates. So, I'll be always fun talking to you. And till the next episode, I'm Peter, and this is Hydrate Level Four. <laughs>